similar uh, similar to what we did last week, where I'll go through the bulk of what's mentioned. I'll include the different ayahs, the different uh, different hadith, different quotes from scholars. That way, we can all be on the same page, uh, inshallah. Hadith 14, the thankful heart. The Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa said, A thankful heart, a tongue that remembers Allah, and a pious woman that helps you in your worldly and religious matters are the best things that people treasure. Uh, At-Tirmidhi reports from Thawban, who said when the ayah, and those who treasure gold and silver, was revealed, we were with the Prophet in one of his travels. Some of his companions said, this was revealed about gold and silver. We wish to know the best wealth so we can own it. He said, its best is a tongue that remembers Allah, a thankful heart, and a wife, of course, a wife or husband, and a wife with iman that helps him with his iman. So the, the ayah that's being referenced uh, is, uh, uh, وَالَّذِينَ يَكْنِزُونَ الذَّهَبَ وَالْفِضَّةِ so that, that's in, um, in Surah Tawbah, as for those who gather gold and silver. Yeah, those who treasure gold and silver. Okay, uh, moving on to the next page, page 172. We, for the commentary, uh, the initial commentary, we are gatherers on this earth. We spend our life collecting, even hoarding, the most expensive and beautiful things we can get our hands on. With self-aggrandizement as the goal, humans spend their life searching for personal gain and, adva and advancement among all the possibilities and of all the objects we could seek and collect. The hadith directs us to the most valuable and precious treasures on this earth. For a worldly treasure, uh, there's an ayah that says, here, here you are invited to spend in the cause of Allah, but among you are those who are stingy. And whoever is stingy is only stingy with himself, and Allah is the rich, while you are the poor. This ayah is from Surah Muhammad. The one who holds back is depriving himself in reality. He is denying himself the reward from Allah, the higher ranks in Jannah, the cleansing power of spending, and the opportunity to heal his heart. Allah in the Quran explains that this selfish and greedy lifestyle will be met with punishment in the next life. And those who hoard gold and silver and don't spend it in the way of Allah, Give them news of a painful punishment on the day when their wealth will be heated in the fire of hell and their foreheads, their flanks, and their backs will be seared with it. It will be said, this is what you hoarded for yourselves, so taste what you used to hoard. This contains the, the snippet of the ayah that we read at the beginning in connection with the hadith. It's ironic that the things we love and trust so much can in reality be the things that hurt us the most. Insightfully, Ibn Kathir a scholar commented on this ayah that the one who loves something and ends up putting it ahead of Allah's obedience will be punished by it. Another ayah describes another punishment. Allah the Most Generous says, and let, not, and let not those who withhold what Allah has given them of His bounty ever think that it is better for them. Rather, it is worse for them. Their necks will be encircled by what they withheld on the Day of Resurrection. The ayah is in Surah Ali Imran. Commenting on this ayah, the Prophet ﷺ explained what this will look like on that day. The one whom Allah has given wealth and does not give its zakah, then his wealth on the day of resurrection will be made into a white-headed poisonous snake with two black dots above its eyes. The snake will encircle his neck and bite his cheeks and say, I am your money, I am your treasure. 
Then, then he recited the ayah and let not those who withhold what Allah has given them of his bounty to the end of the ayah. This is the reality of unspent wealth and greed. Like that snake in the hadith, which is the most venomous and aggressive species of snakes, greed injects its poison into our life and kills our iman. We love our money and want to be so close to it. And on that day, it will come so close that it will wrap around our necks and sink its teeth into our face. What we think is bringing us security and comfort may be the reason for our distress and pain. I'll fast forward a little bit to the next page on 175. Uh, according to Al-Hasan al-Basri, uh, a great early scholar, when you see someone competing with you over this life, compete with him over the hereafter. The three things the hadith lists are the things to truly treasure on this earth, and they are all connected. The thankful heart. The first and most important thing to seek in this life is a thankful heart. It is a heart that is full of iman and trust in Allah, and so is always grateful. No matter what it goes through, it sees it sees in it the care, the guidance, and love that Allah has for it. The Prophet ﷺ said, How incredible the affair of the believer is, for everything he faces is good for him, and this is solely for the believer. If he meets some happiness, he is thankful, and this is good for him. And if he meets some adversity, he is patient, and this is good for him. Everything that the believers face is good for them, and this should bring great relief to the heart of every Muslim, to know that as long as they hold on to their iman and what it entails, nothing truly bad is going to happen to them. They begin to see in every adverse, adversity an opportunity to be closer to Allah. They understand that Allah is the most generous and that he did not deny something or take it away except that he wanted what's best for them. Umar ibn al-Khattab who said, I don't care what state I, I will be in when I wake up, whether it is something I love or hate, because I do not know whether good lies in what I love or what I hate. SubhanAllah. These hearts trust Allah's judgment and decision more than they trust themselves and their own judgments. Ibn Umar said, Indeed, one would ask Allah to choose for him what's best, and Allah chooses for him, and he becomes upset with his Lord. Then he soon sees the outcome and finds that it that it was best for him. Ibn Mas'ud also said, One would be close to getting a business deal or a leadership position and sees that it is already in his grasp. Then Allah mentions him from above seven skies and says to the angel, Go and take away this, go and take this away from my slave, for if I give it to him, I will take him to Jahannam, hellfire. So the angel comes and stops him, and he loses his objective. So he starts thinking that his neighbors brought him bad luck and saying, this person outsmarted me, this person was quicker than me, and it is only Allah that took it away from him. These hearts understand that everything that comes from Allah is beautiful. The good and the bad come from the same source. Ibrahim Atami said, if there is no good for us in what we hate, there would be no good for us in what we love. Fast forwarding a little bit uh, towards the end of page 178. Uh, Ayyub As-Sukhtayani said, said, if, if, what, if what you want does not happen, then want what happens. SubhanAllah. One of the people who best exemplifies this thankfulness to Allah no matter what happens was Umar bin Abdul Aziz, rahimahullah. Uh, he is often referred to as the fifth righteous caliph. He was the great grandson of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu and the first mujaddid, the first reviver of the ummah, essentially. When Abdul Malik 
the son of Umar bin Abdul Aziz and Sahel ibn Abdul Aziz and his servant Muzahim passed away in a span of a few days. Rabi' ibn Sabra said to him, May Allah increase your reward, O Prince of the Believers. I have not seen anyone tested like you in few consecutive days. By Allah, I did not see a son like yours, a brother like yours, or a servant like yours. So Umar lowered his head and a person sitting next to me said, You have renewed his pain and sorrow. Then he raised his head and said, Repeat what you said to me. So I did, and he replied, No, I swear by the one who decreed death upon them. I do not love that any of that did not happen. The thankful heart sees in every pain. They feel the thankful heart sees in every pain. They feel the removal of sin, the granting of reward, and the rise of levels in Jannah. Ibn Uyayna said, What the human hates is better for him than what he loves, because what he hates moves him to pray, make dua, and what he loves distracts him from it. SubhanAllah, we'll fast forward to the next page. Uh, it is recorded that the Prophet ﷺ said, If you are not angry with me, then I don't care about anything else. This is what the Prophet said at the time uh, after Ta'if, when he was given uh, the opportunity basically for that city to be destroyed. And within his incredible dua, there's this key phrase, If you are not angry with me, then I don't care about anything else. SubhanAllah. He's talking to Allah, right? Yeah, yeah. So the Prophet is saying that to Allah. So long as you're not angry with me, then I don't care about anything else. And that's what saying. Uh, Yahya ibn Mu'adh said, If you are unhappy with Allah, how can you ask Him to be happy with you? If we are dissatisfied with Allah's decisions and commands, despite His infinite wisdom and mercy, how can we expect Him to look at us with any satisfaction? So the first component was the thankful heart. The remembering tongue. There is a link between the three treasures that the Prophet ﷺ listed. The thankful heart leads to a remembering tongue and vice versa. When one remembers Allah with their tongue, Allah will be on their mind and in their heart. Shaitan flees from them and his plots will be foiled. Their perspective on life and assessment of happenings changes as they remember Allah. When they encounter haram, what's forbidden, and seek Allah's refuge from shaitan, they remind themselves to avoid it and not to tolerate it or be near it. All this keeps their iman strong. When worldly extravagance and attractions are about to steal their hearts, they say, I am on your obedience or your pleasure, or your pleasure is my intent, O Allah. True living is the living of the hereafter. This is what the Prophet said, to bring humility to his heart. The Prophet ﷺ once said while he was in his home, I am on your obedience or your pleasure is my intent, O Allah. True living is the living of the hereafter, so forgive the Ansar and the Muhajirun. Out of humility, out of humility in his home. Uh, we'll fast forward on page 183. In a hadith similar to the main hadith of this chapter, the Prophet ﷺ recommends us a dua that we should hold on to. When we see others running and fighting over this world, when you see them competing for the dunya, meet their competition with this dua. O Shaddad ibn Aus, if you see people are treasuring gold and silver, then frequent, frequently repeat these sentences. O Allah, I ask you for steadfastness in this matter, and I ask you for the resolve to adhere to the path of guidance, and I ask you for what causes your mercy and brings your forgiveness. And I ask you that I be thankful for your blessings and to worship you well. And I ask you for a sound heart and a truthful tongue. 
and I ask you for the good of what you know, and I seek refuge with you from the evil of what you know, and I ask you for forgiveness of what you know, for you are the knower of the unseen. This comprehensive dua includes the benefits of this life and the next. This should be part of the dhikr that we memorize and repeat. So uh, the first thing mentioned in the hadith is a thankful heart. The second thing, a remembering tongue. And the third thing, a pious wife. It can be understood, a pious spouse. The last of the three treasures is the pious wife. She is her husband's best companion and friend. She supports him in worldly and religious matters, nurtures his iman, and reminds him of Allah when he forgets. The Prophet ﷺ informed us of the value and importance of the company we keep and friends we mingle with when he said, the man will follow the religion of his close friend, so let each of you consider who he is taking as a close friend. Of all the companions we will have, our wives are the closest and most influential. Their companionship spells the difference between a peaceful, productive, and faithful life and a wayward and restless existence. This is why it is important to choose the companion that will help you reach Allah and not become an obstacle in your journey to Him. The Prophet ﷺ said, the world is a provision of the hereafter and the best of the provision of the world is the pious woman. And one, one opinion in connection with the dua, Rabbana atina fi dunya hasan fi al-akhirati the dua in which we ask Allah for good in this life and the next life and protection uh, in the hereafter. Uh, one explanation for the best that this life has to offer, what does it mean for dunya hasana? Part of it, or one opinion, has to do with uh, with this uh, concept here, that the best provision basically is a pious spouse. Um, according to the following hadith, she sacrifices to make Allah happy. Shall I, shall I not tell you about your women in paradise, they said, yes, O Messenger of Allah. He said, every loving and birthing woman, when she gets angry or is wronged or her husband gets angry, she says, this, this is my hand in your hand. My eyes will not be adorned with sleep until you are happy. Obviously, anything, generally speaking, anything in marriage, it goes both ways. So there, there are two sides to that seesaw, so to speak. Um, this noble character and compromise on behalf of this wise and loving woman keeps keeps the home an oasis of happiness and iman. She puts Allah in the happiness of her family before personal feelings and gain, and for that she deserves paradise. Naturally, men should also exhibit nobility of character and lean towards forgiveness and compromise. It is unrealistic for us to put the entire burden on our mates and expect model behavior from them while we are destroying what they are trying to build. It is important to remember that not all of us get the chance to marry and not all marriages last. Among those that, that do last, not all marriages are ideal or come close to the beautiful picture the Prophet ﷺ painted. Whatever our situation may be, we shouldn't turn uh, this mate or future mate into this savior that will completely change our lives and whom we will blame if it doesn't. We should remember that having a thankful heart and tongue is in our own hands. The one who puts the entire burden of their well-being on another abdicates their role in their own transformation and fantasizes instead about a mate who will magically make their life better. We can pray to Allah to have this person in our life, but we cannot delay our iman until they arrive or lose it if they leave. It kind of ties in with the concept that if somebody wants to marry someone like Sayyidah Fatima, then they should work on becoming more like Ali, or if they want someone... If they want, if a guy wants a wife who's amazing like Sayyidah Khadija, then okay, let them prepare themselves to be more like the Prophet ﷺ. So that's the end of Hadith 14. Uh, just to circle it all the way back, the Hadith 
uh, itself mentions, uh, uh, the Messenger said, والسلام, peace and blessings be upon him, a thankful heart, a tongue that remembers Allah and a pious woman that helps you in your worldly and religious matters are the best things that people treasure. And he's specifically highlighting that these things are even more valuable than gold and silver, especially when it's collected and it's not spent properly uh, as it should be. Because that, that's the context of, of the ayah that mentions that. Those who they hoard wealth, gold and silver, and they don't spend it in the path of Allah as they were entrusted to do, essentially. And there are serious consequences. SubhanAllah. So a very, a very simple connection is if somebody looks at the last third, if somebody wants, you know, that special someone, that uh, that significant other, you know, to basically, um, if that's something that, that they want or something they're looking for, then in preparation for that, then uh, there can be, you know, work put in as it relates to the heart being grateful and then also the tongue uh, remembering Allah. Qalbun shakir zakir that will make us from among the thankful That will make us from among the grateful And especially within the first two There's a there's a very, very strong connection Between the heart being grateful And the tongue remembering Allah I mean, the tongue and the heart are Very, very, very consistently connected uh, In different examples throughout the Quran and Sunnah uh, I mean, there are some ayahs that we hear Oftentimes in Jumu'ah when Allah mentions all you who believe Have taqwa of Allah which is in the heart وَقُولُوا قَوْلًا سَدِيدًا All you who believe Be mindful of Allah And the Prophet taught us that taqwa Is in your heart, is in your chest The roots of taqwa are there And then what's mentioned immediately after the heart is the tongue And say what's true, say what's clear um, Say what's upright so there, there, there are many examples of the, the heart and the, the tongue being interconnected. And when the Prophet taught us والسلام, that there are different signs of hypocrisy, uh, one of them is lying often. So that's a reflection of, of some kind of deficiency in the heart. Allah protect us from that. Any thoughts or reflections from anyone? Welcome, sir. It's good to see you. <laughs> Hope everything is well, inshallah. Any thoughts in connection uh, with hadith, hadith 14, the, the grateful heart? I thought it was interesting on page 177, mm -hmm. where it says that one would be here close to a vision, to a vision, to a leadership position, and see that it's already in his head, and then Allah mentions him from above, skies and says to the angel go and take this away from my slave for if I give it to him I will take him to Jahannam mm -hmm. and the person's response is that he thinks that it's his neighbors that brought him bad luck and mm -hmm. saying this person outsmarted me this person was quicker than me but it was really a lot who took it away mm -hmm. like you can tell the person's state of mind and where his heart is because instead of thinking that oh Allah took this away from me for my good mm -hmm. His, his mindset is already like, 
not focused on that. So mm-hmm. he's automatically thinking of someone else or something else. Mm-hmm. So it just shows like if your mindset is not where that is, you're always looking on the outside in mm-hmm. different areas and coming up with different things for why something's happening. To, like to kind of make sense of things. and Yeah, but like yeah. you're not looking at it from the right angle because mm-hmm. your mind is not in the right mm-hmm. state or your heart's not in the right state of mind. Right. And what's uh, what's interesting, it ties in perfectly with what with what you're highlighting. The uh, literally the the word that's used is bad luck. So the the Arabic So uh, like if if someone there there are different levels, right? If someone is resorting to thinking that oh you know this is like the bad luck of my neighbor that itself is kind of a of a reflection of their disconnect at least partially from like trusting allah from their relationship with allah like if yeah yeah mm-hmm. i mean if you think about it what like when when was like if you think of someone who is I mean, we're all trying our best, right? In general, if someone is is trying their best as it relates to their faith, their relationship with Allah, they're trying to put in work in in that regard. Chances are they're not going to have that type of internal dialogue, right? Chances are they're not going to think, oh, the, the bad luck of your neighbor, like, what does that have to do with anything, right? There's a position, and what the hadith is, is uh, or Ibn Mas'ud, what, what he's saying is, so this is his explanation. The reality is, is something from Allah, but the way that they're processing it, so it's like a user error, right? The way they're processing it is, oh, it must be, you know, the the it must be bad luck in association with my neighbor, huh? Bad luck, your neighbor is like a euphemism for blaming others for your problems, or blaming like other situations for what it is that you're going through. Right. It's really, really difficult to be present and be like. Okay, Allah didn't want me to have this. Mm-hmm. And when it, when you're in the here and the now, mm-hmm. and like especially when it's happening in real time, mm-hmm. and it's like right there in front of you, and there's other avenues that you can go to do different things. Mm-hmm. It's man, that's one of the most difficult things to understand. That, uh, like that surveillance, Allah was always got over us. It's like mm-hmm. always, man, mm-hmm. that'd be a, that'd, uh, that'd be a, like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it is hard, right, to to process things, especially in the moment. It's like you're caught in a sandstorm, and you can't you just you can't really see clearly. And then after the dust settles, then you see, oh wow, this is what Allah planned for me. This is what Allah protected me from. Uh, oftentimes, it, it does take time for that to uh, for that to happen, but to make it from point A to point B to where you eventually get to that point where in hindsight you see hidden blessings within that. I feel like the, the, the main thing that's needed to get there is to inshallah be around the right people, right? Because if someone, something happens and uh, if they're around the right people, then how they respond to them telling them about that challenge is going to naturally affect how they see it. How, how they process things. So if someone, if they're 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 dealt some really difficult cards, right? 
how they respond oftentimes has to do with how do the people around them respond to them telling them, hey, this is what happened, right? Maybe someone's boss is crazy and they mention that, you know, this is something that happened. Or they they mentioned that there was this job they interviewed for, for example, and then it didn't happen. How the person they're telling that to, how they respond does have some sort of effect on them. So if they mention it, man, this is something that happened. It was so close. I thought it was going to, it was going to work out. And if there's like a healthy response, one validation, mm -hmm. the struggle's real, right? <laughs> no question about it. But then if they also mention like, man, that's really tough. That's really difficult. Maybe it was protecting you from something. Right. So, so I think both are important. There's the validation for the human side. Like, yeah, that is extremely difficult. You're within our, and, you know, an arm's reach of that ideal job or getting into that school or marrying that person, whatever. And then it didn't happen. I think the validation is important that, yeah, that is really difficult because if, if people just want to like throw scripture at people, like that's just, there's a time and a place, at least understand the, the pain they're dealing with or the struggle they're going through. So if there's the validation first that helps to settle things down and then to couple that with, hey, man, maybe Allah's protecting you from something. Who knows? Maybe if you did get that job, maybe the supervisor would have been beyond crazy. Maybe Allah protected you from that. From maybe that. that's for like big stuff. Mm -hmm. What about like much more like menial stuff? Like uh, mm -hmm. say something, you had something going on, it didn't happen. Now you now you like, you all in your head about it or trying to push your next move, that's why you can cut a corner here or, you know, do something there that just make some shape mm -hmm. or something like whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Go a different avenue or something and you're realizing like the first one wasn't working out, so you're looking for another. It's always an alternative method to do something, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And, they all, and it's all, not always. Unless you're moving on to your next thought versus totally dwelling and like lost in that first but it may not be Islamically sound, it's the mm -hmm. caveat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a lot that, of points that, that, that ain't Islamically sound. Like, yeah. I'm a good person, yeah. but I'm not always a good Muslim. You feel me? So that's, the, that's like my struggle. Well, I, I think it's, it's a very common struggle that I think we yeah. can all relate to. <laughs> it's kind of like, we all in this together, man. Yeah. Where if someone really thought to themselves, I am exactly where I want to be as a Muslim. That's, that's actually kind of a problem. Yeah, like that, that's kind of yeah, like, oh, finally I've arrived. <laughs> and now now I'm there. Now I've what what's it called? Nirvana? I've attained, you know, enlightenment. And <laughs> it's like, well, that, that's good for you. The rest of us we're struggling when it comes to when it comes to these things. So in a sense, it's kind of there's a certain element of of spiritual health of seeing that okay by the grace of god there has been we often forget this there has been progress over x amount of years right if someone were to just sincerely look be like you know what 5 10 15 years ago not not in a big-headed way but just by the grace of allah if i look at where i was then and then i look at where i am now for example like that's allah allah made that happen to kind of see it in the middle. Okay, I'm not where I may have been. There has been, it's been a windy path, but there has been some kind of growth, some kind of consistent good change. So I'm not where I was. I'm also <coughs> not where I may want to be. 
And that's kind of a, a lifelong journey, right? To just continuously climb and grow and to, to go in the right direction. Um, go One ahead. thing I also found to be really reassuring and to put in the forefront of your mind when those type of things happen is to know that Allah literally guarantees every single person's risk. Like you can work as hard as you want to work. Allah has a certain amount of money, a certain amount of risk that he has assigned for you. Mm -hmm. You can work literally nothing. And then one day you'll get the risk that he has assigned for you. Like it doesn't matter how much time, energy, effort you put in. It's good to do those things. It's good to go out and, and work for those things. But the amount that you're going to get is written. And there's nothing you can do about it. What? What? So, so, no, no. So, what? One of the. Then you don't carry that worry with you. You, you know that there's right. a risk coming. It's going to be around the corner. But to have that worry, the constant thinking of like, you know, I'm, I'm stuck in this space. That in itself is a test for you. You just recognize like, okay, Allah's going to take care of it. And if it doesn't get taken care of, it's going to get taken care of because it's written for me. Like. This opportunity didn't fall through. Allah wanted to protect me from it. Maybe I was going to be misguided. Or maybe I was going to, you know, be further away from my deen in this position down the line. It looked good at first, but who knows? And then you don't know. Literally around the corner, there could be something else for you. Instead, you just spend all that time worrying and and anxious and, you know, going through depression, being in your head about something. When literally, Allah has a plan for you in the month now. So, so so long as moves are being made actively, then that's what facilitates the process, right? Yeah, still what, what one of the reasons why I there are several reasons, but one one of the reasons why uh, I love birds and I appreciate having something as simple as like bird feeders in the backyard, uh, regular bird feeders with bird seed, and then hummingbird feeders specifically. Uh, one of the reasons why i've always loved birds but there's a reminder in seeing them come and go because that's the example the prophet gave us that your your risk is guaranteed for you like birds they leave in the morning and they're hungry but then they return with with full bellies basically so long as you know applying for jobs is being done so long as the effort's being put in and we're doing our part then Allah will facilitate things. So we have to discover what Allah has written for us through taking responsible action, right? Yeah, it was in our other hadith that we went through. Was, mm -hmm. When we were talking about it, it was saying that risk is guaranteed right. for every... It is, it is. And it, it it's in, actually, a lot of these things um, conceptually can be tied in with parenting. So if someone, if they... Uh, they have a, I don't know, they have a, a treat for their kids or something. And like they want to give it to them. They already have it. They're planning on giving, giving it to them. I just need you to just meet me halfway. <laughs> I, just, just, I just need you to put your toys away, for example, or whatever, right? Like you have every intention, like you're trying to actively facilitate it, but there also needs to be something done on like that the goes, kids part yeah, if that, that makes sense along with the ayat or the hadith that says um or i think it's ayat maybe mm -hmm. that allah doesn't change a person's circumstance and until, until they change and uh, yeah, yeah 
that's putting in half of the effort. Mm -hmm. I'm flipping Allah and tire camel. Exactly. Yeah, Perfect yeah. example. Tire camel and trust Allah. Because a, a man, he came to the Prophet and he, a, he asked him a valid question. Is trusting Allah just leaving my camel or tying it first? And the Prophet said, tie your camel and then trust Allah. Right. So there, there has to be this meeting in the middle. It's not only tying your camel. It's not only trusting Allah, so to speak, where like where that's a matter of the heart. Tying your camel is a matter of your hands. Trusting Allah is a matter of the heart. So the idea is if we do what we can with our hands, then our hearts should feel more at peace because at that point, you tied your camel. Like there, there are going to be limitations. At some point, there's nothing more that you can do. So, so long as a person is actively tying their camel, and that, that's where there are different components of the equation. You tie your camel, you trust Allah. You apply for the job, you trust Allah. You, you know, do what you can, and then you trust Allah. So there, there's a balance between the, like external matters, tying the camel, and then internal matters of leaving it to Allah. Just like when it, when it comes to different, you know, challenges that may arise, there, there are certain things that it's just out of your hands and it happens. Okay, how can I, There is there anything that I could have done? Let's say, no, I, you know, I, I've done everything that I, that I could do. Maybe someone, they have a job, they're doing everything they possibly can and they're, they're really doing a good job and, you know, for anyone dealing with this, may Allah help them. For whoever is not dealing with this, may Allah protect them. Let's say layoffs happen. They're doing everything they can. They're performing. They're going above and beyond. And it still happens. So at that point, if they were to reflect and look back, could I have done anything differently? Let's say the answer is no, because they're really trying. Like, they're not taking it for granted. They're, they're actually doing they're handling their responsibilities, you know, within the, the scope of their job. And that happens. Okay. I mean, what are you going to do? Okay. How can I, how can I respond? How that's very different than someone who's like not doing anything. And then God forbid that sort of thing happens. And it's like, well, I mean, maybe that that's kind of why. So it also depends on, did a person have a hand in that, thing happening or not going back to this this quote from Ibn Mas'ud I think it's 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 a really powerful point of reflection that we may want something the concept is we may want something we may be so close to it but what if it's bad for us right someone may really want a certain job they may really want to move to a certain part of the world so someone ironically just as an example someone may want to move to Medina and they want to live there and they want to die there and in and of itself that's something good but what if Allah wants something different from you what if Allah doesn't want you to move to Medina even though there's good in that but what if it's better for someone if they if what <laughs> if they went to Malaysia <laughs> I was going to give the example of Malcolm X right he went for Hajj he not necessarily in connection with Medina but the, like he went for Hajj and he he came to see like real brotherhood in humanity and then and also within islam in a sense he technically could have stayed there after this enlightening experience he he could have stayed in the middle east he could have stayed in mecca or egypt or sudan for example 
but he chose to come back and actively preach what he now believed, and that did end up costing him his life. May Allah have mercy on him. So for him, and for us by extension, right? Because like there's so there's so much benefit contained within his story. It's phenomenal. I mean, his who said it that his uh, biography, his his autobiography, is like the most important one written in American history. Yeah, that was. Yeah. I, I forget. I forget so where I heard that. Huh. I think Ta-Nehisi Coates might have said that. Yeah, I think who, who said that? Ta-Nehisi Coates. He is a, he's a writer. He, he's done... He's I don't know for sure, but... Tallahassee Coates? Tallahassee. Tallahassee? This is my first time hearing the name. He's like a renowned Thank okay. you. So what I must have heard someone quoting him saying that, or maybe, or maybe I'm getting it wrong because I'm uh, not exactly sure if he said that, but I heard that quote this morning, mm-hmm. and I heard somebody say that before. I'm doing I heard it too, I think. And when he said his name, it clicked for me. So I, I could, I could also be misremembering. Well, that must have been the original source, and then I heard someone else reference uh, reference it like secondarily. Uh, Dr. Omar Farooq Abdullah came to Islam <clears throat> through the autobiography of Malcolm X. Like, there's just there's so much good that has come said, from that. Yeah. yeah. Many people have said that. Exactly. That so it should be required in school to read to to read his his story. Yeah. So, in a sense, like, what part of what makes it so impactful is especially what happened in connection with his decision to come back to America and to actively preach and teach Sunni Orthodox Islam. So technically we get more good from that than had he moved to Medina, left everything behind and like camped out there. There is good in that, but there was more good in him. Millions of people, millions yeah. of African Americans converted to Islam, like from the nation. Yeah. Like, so how do you yeah. not, yeah, how do you not come back? Like, you know, you, like, it, like Islam doesn't, there, there doesn't, would have doesn't been prolifer- that, doesn't proliferate as much. Yeah. Because, because yeah. of his singular mm-hmm. influence and his role. Yeah. Him and so, Imam W.D. Muhammad. I was going to say, I was done. I was just saying. He was the he was the cause of like the biggest mm-hmm. conversion of Islam in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, him and then followed by Imam W.D. Muhammad. Elijah Muhammad's son. W.D. Muhammad. Imam Warathadi Muhammad. Yeah. So he he, in a sense, completed the second leg of that race. You have Malcolm, and then I love mercy on him, and then Imam W.D. Muhammad. Um, played Imam Sadat Wahaj. He mentioned it in a lecture that I was listening to when mm. he was. Um, it may have been his interview fairly recently within the last year with Sheikh Yasser Qadi in person uh, in in Texas, and uh, I think he referenced that uh, autobiography, probably in connection with the original quote. What what you mentioned. <laughs> You, know, you never know who got the mm-hmm. original because a lot of people have read that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Hey, I wanted to ask about it. Uh, I wanted to ask. I asked about 
especially coming from like a Christian background, this, this idea of luck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then making the transition to Islam and knowing about shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked the uh, Imam before about like the concept of luck, and he said, "No way, excuse me." I think I made a comment, and he he uh, corrected what it was that I said, mm-hmm. and I asked him about it. But he said that um, Allah mentions luck, like um, I can't even remember nothing beyond that. But the concept of uh, like this concept of being lucky, mm-hmm. like, could you expound on what it is that he's talking about? Mm-hmm. That it's a good, uh, it's a good question and a good point, a good topic, uh, and it does tie in directly with something that we that we read and, and mentioned. I think a lot of it. So think of it in, like, if, if someone casually, naturally, there are going to be different approaches to this. But if someone casually mentions to their friend, if they say that, oh, they have a, a, a job interview the next day, for example, they say, oh, you know, good luck with that. Hopefully it goes smoothly. What basically what, what their intention is, they're, they're sending good energy, good vibes. They're wishing the best for them. Um, so it, it's not really like an overly literal statement, if that makes sense. Um, now, if someone truly believes that having, you know, like this, this neat little fake plant, like this is my lucky fake plant. Okay. That would be an issue like this, this, it's a nice plant, but it's not really going to affect the outcome. So there's kind of a difference between someone casually mentioning like, oh, you know, good luck with that. Oh, I, they have a, they have a a game tomorrow they have you know some athletic contest over the weekend oh you know good luck let me know how things go hopefully hopefully you win and so that's like more casual i i wouldn't say if someone chooses to refrain that's fine but if someone says that i personally i wouldn't make a big deal out of it because i understand how it's being said an extension would it be like like you see uh something happen to somebody a lot be like like if if some like if something good happened to someone, like oh they're they're lucky that right. that things uh, like that blessing came their way. I mean, I, I would, I really, I don't see much of an issue with it if someone chooses to reword it and if they say okay instead of saying oh they're lucky that that happened, they're fortunate that that happened. the The concept is that w- with the understanding of tawhid, the concept is they are fortunate that Allah decreed that for them. They're lucky, they're fortunate that Allah gave them that gift. Right? So what is the understanding behind it that that thing came from Allah? Right? That that's a blessing that Allah gave them. Oh, they're they're man, you're lucky that you found the 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 last hat on sale. I've been I haven't, but I've been looking, for example, for that specific hat for like two years. I couldn't find it anywhere. Man, you're lucky that you found it Black Friday. That was the last one in the back. Man, mashallah, nice hat. The the understanding is that okay, that like Allah in a in, in, in that example, Allah saved it for you, right? And that and it was written for you for you to go and, and to get the hat. Now, if someone if they take it kind of too far and they're like oh i have this rabbit foot in my pocket mm-hmm. and because of that 
that good, you know, because I had this thing in my pocket, that's like my good luck. No, 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 we, that, that, that's, well, that's too much. We, we don't. The concept of luck is the so the thing from, is, from, Christian, yeah. luck is based off of chance and just randomness. Right. You know, so yeah. like, oh, you're lucky. You stood out. It was random. It came to you just out of nowhere. Chose you. But in Islam, luck is really attached to Allah's blessing. Like it, it gave it to you. So right. it was specific for you. And it could yeah. still be random. It's, Tying well, back. So like what you were saying, sometimes, so the, the, the norm is to, to put in, like the bird, right? To put in the work, and then and then Allah provides through that. There are other times in connection with what you were saying specifically earlier. Sometimes Allah just drops a blessing in your lap, and you didn't do anything to earn it. <laughs> you didn't do anything to necessarily deserve it. Sometimes, out of His generosity, Allah's kareem, Allah just says, "I'm giving you this." So in Islam, luck is His blessing. In Christianity, right. luck is by chance. So it ties in with the qadr of Allah, with, with the, the, the decree of Allah, with the decision of Allah. An extension to that. Right? Mm. Okay, now we have like a, like, do good, get good, do bad, get bad. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, is that a thing too? Like when I do, when I do bad stuff, I get bad stuff. Or when I do good things, I get good things. Is it, is that conceptually like uh like something that we have in Islam or because I, I feel like sometimes I could be wallowing in the mud and like good stuff be happening to me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel like I'm walking a little straighter on my throat. Mm -hmm. And you know what I'm saying I'm getting hit from every angle. Mm -hmm. But I know I know I know that they good things happening to you are not a sign of Allah or Allah's uh pleasure with your behavior. Mm -hmm. Nor are calamitous things a sign that he's angry with you. Um, so sometimes yes, sometimes no, right? Like okay. sometimes, and that that's where it's kind of it can be kind of a mixed bag. And the objective is for a person to go back to their taqwa, to go back to their heart, and to reflect and analyze: Is there something that I need to work on? So if someone is going and taking advantage of people left and right. For example, stealing money from them, whatever example. And then there's some kind of calamity that hits them. What they should do for the sake of their akhirah, for the sake of their hereafter, they should reflect, could this be in connection with, you know, this this bad stuff that, that has happened? So what it should do, it should propel them to go from bad to good. If someone's already doing good and then there's some kind of calamity that happens, ideally it would take them from good to great, right? Where they step their game up in terms of giving more sadaqah, doing more good, connecting more with Quran, whatever, just trying to to do more more uh, more good deeds in connection with that, they may not realize. Like they they may look and scan sincerely. Okay, is is Allah telling me something? Is there something that I need to change? Could this be in connection with that? And let's say they do that sincerely, and they they look at it and they 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 sincerely feel like. They've been trying to dot the I's and cross the T's. They'll continue to do their istighfar. They'll continue to reflect and think, is there something I'm not noticing? Is there something that I'm not I'm not realizing? So they're going to continue to try to polish things more. They're also going to, to look at it from another angle that even if there's not a major mistake that Allah is correcting within them, let, let's say that's not there. 
we have the example uh, the examples of the prophets they, they they didn't do anything wrong yet there were still major tests and and challenges prophet ayub he had you know a lot of uh, a lot of, out of his generosity gave him a lot of worldly blessings in terms of wealth in terms of family children you know all of these things uh, he was healthy and he didn't do anything wrong that led to those things being taken away so there wasn't that blemish that need to be that need to that needed to be polished at all i mean he's a prophet so for him it it was purely a test and he he passed that test and allah gave him more than what he had before and that's a portion of the reward for his patience in this life and then there's even more in the hereafter so a lot of it has to do with the person reflecting internally if, if someone is going and scamming people left and right and they know that's what they're doing and then there's some kind of challenge that happens okay the way they interpret it this is a sign that i need to get my act together i, I need to prepare for my grave i need to prepare for when i meet allah if they're already going in the general right direction then maybe it's a chance for them to to come closer to Allah and to propel themselves uh, further ahead and higher. A lot of it has to do with like internal self-reflection and how uh, how to process it, I guess, within that person. Because and, and there are different different ayahs in the Quran um, that that mention, for example, in Surah Tawbah, Allah mentions. For hypocrites that they they may have had a lot of wealth they may have had a lot of uh, children which a lot of having children especially male ch children in that time and place a lot of it had to do with military strength because if just flat out if if you're in this you know chaotic society when things break down if you have a lot of sons if you have a lot of male relatives if you have this massive tribe and you have a whole lot of warriors then naturally that's going to protect everything else right uh so allah mentions in, in in that surah that even if they have a lot of wealth even if they have a lot of children allah only wishes to punish them by them so there may be someone who has a lot of wealth and a lot of like family strength for example financial strength etc just because they have it it doesn't necessarily mean they're good it doesn't necessarily mean they're bad what it what is at the core of their being unless saying for them for these hypocrites uh those blessings are are going to turn into curses essentially um because of something within within them i mean that's a whole separate discussion there are uh there's an ayah in surah araf in surah seven Allah mentions if they had believed, if they had iman, if they had taqwa, then we would have opened all kinds of blessings for them uh, in 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 connection with with dunya. Like they would have found more barakah. So you, I mean, there, there's a lot to pick apart, huh? A lot of layers. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, what if? So if someone has so that, and a lot of it does tie in with things that we read here. How do you interpret it and how does it affect you like is it good for me is it not good for me i don't really know like we may interpret it to be good for us 
and we hope that it is, but then over time, Allah knows. And the opposite, something may may happen as some kind of challenge, and it understandably looks like the worst thing ever, but then what if it eventually over time turns into a good thing? What if over time Allah shows the wisdom behind that? That just shows so much of Allah's rahmah, because mm -hmm. even in the things that he's punishing you with, like say there is a punishment and you're going through something, mm -hmm. if you are in the category of the person who is a believer and everything that happens to him is bad is actually good for him. Mm -hmm. Like even those things that are considered punishments for you, there's good in it, you know? And like, he never just leaves you with nothing. Like there's always something to take from it. And at the end of the day, whether it's like a punishment or whether it's blessings, all of it is a test. Mm -hmm. Like no matter what, it's, it's just all a test anyway. Mm -hmm. And then I remember there was like the ayat that says, if you are grateful to me, then I will bless you with more. And if you're not, then my punishment is severe. Mm -hmm. So that is also adds to it. And then there was another, I think it was a hadith, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. um, where the prophet or either the prophet or somebody had said that Thanks. when the person, the peace upon, when the person is getting stronger in their iman, the shaitan attacks them harder because they're, they're trying, you know, where a person's iman is weak, the shaitan is a little bit lazy with him because he's already got him in his place. He's mm -hmm. fine with him. But as soon as he sees him struggling to be better, it's when he attacks him more. So we don't know what's really a punishment. We don't really know what's a blessing because it, it could end up being a curse later. So just see it all as a test. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it all goes it all goes back to the heart of that person. Like how to navigate. If there's a blessing, how do they respond? If there is a challenge, how do they respond? And I think one of the one of the key uh, ingredients in staying grounded both ways, like you want to be rooted and grounded both ways. If there's a blessing and you're rooted, you're going to continue to be a good person, to continue to be a grateful person, a humble person. You're not going to look down. Let's say someone was really poor and then Allah hooked them up and overnight they just became extremely wealthy if they're rooted and grounded then they're going to continue to be a good person they're going to use that blessing in more good ways maybe to give more charity maybe to help more people and then on on the the flip side if there are challenges that come their way and they're rooted then they're they're going to survive the storm like they'll they'll make it through and then you know uh the blessings from that that storm will uh, will reveal themselves over time. So both ways, right? They're, if they have their dhikr, if they have their connection with the Qur'an, if they have their connection with Allah, all these things fluctuate, whether due to life circumstances or just the nature of this life, the ups and downs of, of iman and um, different habits and routines. I mean, there are so many things. But if there's... At the core of it, if a person, they're sincerely trying their best through the ups and the downs, I'm just trying to hang on to my relationship with Allah, and I'm trying to work on it how I can, where I can, when I can. Um, I think dhikr is one of, remembering Allah is one of the most effective ways to, to try to remain rooted through both the good and the bad. 
It's interesting, I was thinking about this recently, when the Prophet mentioned Sayyidul Istighfar, Allahumma anta rabbi la ilaha illa ant, uh, the, the, the Sayyid, the, the, the master, the chief, the best way to seek forgiveness is to say this dua, this supplication in the morning once and then in the evening once. What's interesting is if you look at what the Prophet specified, whoever says this in the morning uh, with certainty in it and they die that day, they're guaranteed paradise. The same thing in the evening. What's interesting is regardless of how much good a person did that day or whatever mistakes they did, the Prophet specified, say it in the morning, say it in the evening. So you could have done a whole lot of good that day, but you still have the routine in the evening, for example, to still ask Allah for forgiveness for every mistake that you've done, which is kind of interesting. Like you may have just said it that morning, and then let's just say theoretically someone they did a whole lot of good that day. When the evening comes, they're saying it again. So they're they're rooted in that practice, whatever good, whatever whatever bad, um, you know that that whatever mistakes may be done, if they're connected with that. That that dhikr, that practice, they're gonna do it anyways, even if they did a thousand good deeds, one good deed, no good deeds, they were in bed all day, whatever. Um, if they're connected with that, then then there there's just there's gonna there are gonna be blessings and consistency that that wouldn't be uh, found otherwise. So may Allah make it easy. I, I just feel like dhikr is, is one of is this like incredible, incredible elixir. It just it helps with so many things. It's like the you know the oil to an engine. It's it's kind of like a, a charger for your phone, your laptop, or whatever. Like the software is there, the hardware is there, all the but like, <laughs> you got to have that power source. You got to have the um, that energy, and it, it's incredible. Like out of Allah's mercy, this thing that is so impactful is also so easy and has no limitations. No, you could do it while driving. You could do it while, while waiting in line at the store quietly in your heart, under your breath. Just, you know, someone may say, someone may be bored in class, bored at work, and they just, within their heart, within themselves, they make istighfar a couple times, just kind of randomly, maybe some salawat on the Prophet, any dhikr, all, all of them are, are good in their own ways. Um, it just, it really, it's like the glue that kind of, keeps uh, a lot of things together. And they say that saying this, the Fad is really the key to opening up a lot of your blessings because mm -hmm. in the ayah it says that those who seek forgiveness, mm -hmm. Allah will enrich them with... Mm -hmm. Allah will send rain, rain, Allah will send uh, wealth and, and children and gardens and rivers. So, like that's the formula yeah. for success. Say as the far and you get all these things. Astaghfirullah, it takes half a second. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's interesting how different, like, every dhikr has its own flavor, it has its own effect. Uh, istighfar, it, it just, it, it helps. Like, there are times when there can be, like, really dense clouds in the heart. Istighfar will help to alleviate that. Sometimes there could be a light fog. It just gives the sunshine, right, to kind of peek through the clouds, and then eventually uh, things improve. Uh, inshallah. Same thing with salawat on the Prophet. And even, it also depends on on what a person is going through, 
or what someone else may be going through. Like if someone is really struggling with um, just being down in the sunken place, I wouldn't recommend advising them to make istighfar because like explicit if they choose to, may Allah accept it. Because the interpretation may be on their end, like they're feeling down. And then if someone advises them, oh, ask Allah for forgiveness, the interpretation may be, maybe I'm feeling down because because of me. Maybe I, you know, it's it's kind of a complicated dynamic to unpack, but oftentimes because they're already feeling low. And then if you say you need to ask for forgiveness, it, like ironically, that that might break them. Right. That's not the intention. But if the advice, for example, is salawat on the prophet, that's more uplifting. That's more um, there's there's a different tone. There's a different energy that's associated with that. And both end up having very similar effects. Right. Like uh, the hadith of Ubay bin Ka'ab who was like the master of Qurra, from of reciters of Qur'an from the companions, when Umar started Tarawih, like <clears throat> Sayyidina Umar officially, uh, he appointed Ubay bin Ka'ab like to be the imam for the, the community. So when in, in a famous hadith, when he mentioned to the Prophet ﷺ that if I were to, to allocate, I forget the, the fractions, um, I think it may it may have started like if I allocate there's a portion of time for for duha if I allocate like a quarter of it to sending peace and blessings salawat peace and blessings uh, upon you you know what do you think about that and the prophet said that's good but if you do more it would be better for you so he said what if I do half same response that's good if you do more it'd be better for you what if I so he so he said if if what if I just do that and the Prophet said, then all your sins, your sins will be forgiven and your worries will be relieved. So it's it's kind of a different way to get to the same. Like when you're making istighfar, right? Allah will forgive your mistakes and increase your blessings. Okay, you increase in salawat, Allah will forgive your mistakes and increase in your blessings. Uh, so they, they are very interconnected. A lot of it just depends on uh, where a person is at. If a person is like, just really struggling, salawat is usually um, just a really uh, n like nourishing go-to, uh, especially if advising someone else. Then that would be the ideal one. It's eight fifty-eight, so we, we can go ahead and uh, and conclude here. Inshallah, any final comments or, or questions uh, before we do so? No, I just thought of that one ayah when you were uh, <clears throat> no, was talking about like the uh, you do good, sometimes you expect good. Um the ayah from Sutan Kabut, um, where it goes, um Hasil and Nasu Ain and Yahoo Hasil and Nasu Ain Yaku Amanna, um Humana is like to do the people like Allah speak Allah speaking to the people, he says, Do the people think that they will be left alone? If they say um, they believe and, they, and, that, and that they won't be tested, so it's one of those things where, like, when you get if you get a blessing or if you're like if you get something something struggling with you, it's like more like a 
self-reflection you know i'm just like and what 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 stage am i at in my life like is allah trying to pull me back to him by giving me this blessing is allah trying to test me by giving me this hardship at this time even though i've been like praying in the masjid every day or something like that so it's like a self-reflection like just like seeing where you're at and you know just appreciating the opportunity to self-reflect and being thankful for that and stuff mm. Going off of that too, the ayah that you mentioned, it's interesting because it's like he's saying, do people believe that, uh, that he will be left alone just because they say that they believe, just because you're on the right path. And like a lot of times people would feel they're on the right path, they're doing all their prayers, they're literally in alignment with everything. They shouldn't be having hardships. Mm -hmm. Like it saves them from hardships or something yeah. but just because you're on the right path and you're doing everything doesn't mean that you won't be tested in those ways too yeah so yeah. it's like it, it comes with it too like you're not going to be left alone just because you're yeah. okay yeah I in forget, there's, there's a hadith from the prophet so somewhere it says i think the, the people who are somebody asked the prophet who's tested the most and the prophet says on the prophets and then, says, mm -hmm. and then after the prophet and he says the scholars or is there somebody I, before the scholars? I, I don't I don't remember, but the for sure the the prophet mentioned the <clears throat> the prophets and then those who come after them in righteousness accordingly. Yeah. I know at one point this, like I know it's like I know there's the scholars three, that mentioned and it would be prophets, like prophets, scholars. Somebody scholars or yeah, scholars that detail I don't remember. I can't remember. But basically it's like you know, like we're not even tested as much as you know, um, the prophets or, you know, the scholars. Um, so it's just one of those things where it's like, um, not to, not to diminish the testing, but it's like, uh, it's like recognizing that like the closer you get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more you may be tested and you do, do it just different ways. It's just like being thankful for trying to get yourself in that mindset. Um, of being thankful for what you have and what you don't have. And yeah, like like the author was saying, everything's kind of interconnected. You know? Like you, in order to, in order to be thankful, like to, to have a thank, like to, to be thankful, you have to actually use your tongue and then have somebody around you who encourages you, whether it's your wife or your husband, just like somebody who like encourages you to like be thankful and remember one, you know, so yeah, I don't want to drag on too long because I know we're out of time. Mm -hmm. well, those are <clears throat> good points. Those are valid points. And, and there, there's just a need for healthy, balanced uh, community because it's just it's too much to go it alone, right? It's it's too difficult to try to to figure it all out on your own. But a lot of the time, the, the reality is we, we are in, in the end of days. I mean, there are many signs that, that show that, that illustrate that. Um, and the prophet described the, the end of days, like their name is the days of sabr. Like the days of, of sabr is patience, persistence, resilience. You could even include grit. Um, like pushing forward so like we are definitely in those days and the prophet he also mentioned that there there will be a time when hanging on to your faith is like holding on to hot coal we're definitely in in 
those days as well, especially when you take into consideration, okay, there are all these challenges out there in the world, whatever they may be. So a person may think, okay, so let me connect with the Muslim community. Let me connect. Let me find refuge there because there's a storm outside, right? So let me seek refuge in this shelter. But then, unfortunately, there are times, uh, a lot of the time, within that shelter, there's a different kind of storm. So then a person ends up being stuck between a rock and a hard place. It's like, okay, well, here there are these challenges. And then here there are, the, there are these challenges. So it's like, what are you supposed to do? And it's interesting that the hadith, uh, sorry, the, the, the surah of the Prophet encourages us to connect with on a weekly basis, which is especially relevant more and more towards the end of time is Surah Al-Kaf because it was a small group of sincere people who sought refuge in a cave. Allah took care of them. Allah helped them. So the idea is if we can have like our own, you know, small group support to just make it through as Muslims, if we can manage to do that, then then that's uh, an accomplishment. And I'll, I'll conclude with this. There was one time years ago, I was speaking at a at a Sunday school uh, to high schoolers, and they were uh, w- within the discussion. Something came up where. One of the girls mentioned a really, really, I think, powerful and really valid point. Uh, she said that when when she's at school, like she'll she'll dress in modest American clothing, like with an Islamic twist. So she'll wear loose jeans, kind of a long blouse, and so she'll she'll make it work. And when she dresses in that way, and she's at school, she doesn't really fit in. And then if she dresses that way in some masajid, she also doesn't really fit in because it's not exactly how some people think. Oh, you, you need to wear the abaya. You need to you know, dress in a very specific way. So her complaint was, which is a very valid one, where am I supposed to go? Like I go here, you know, there's this challenge. I go here, there's this challenge. Like, so it, it, it'll make it easy. It's so that when, when you're holding that hot coal, it doesn't discriminate. It's not more hot on one side and less hot on the other. It's just the whole thing is a major accomplishment. Like she, she at that time she was like seventeen, like really trying her best, and and that I mean it's a separate topic, but just internally within the Muslim community, like we just we just need to do what we can and offer some kind of refuge some kind of solace some kind of cave where people can just be safe and accepted and and treated decently like it's really not rocket science but it ends up being the exception not the norm a lot of the time anyways let's go ahead and conclude Thank <laughs> you.